All right, if you need a Bible, raise your hand this morning. GR will pass it out. If you do have a Bible, Judges chapter 7. We did part 1 a month ago. So, I'm working my way out of a job here at Northgate, which is great to hear from others. Last week in our session, Amy, Dr. Dan, Luke 15, before that, all these messages on the the website, as Josh showed us, and before that, Caleb spoke of Peter walking on the water. And the week before that, it was Gideon in Judges chapter 6. Our summer's coming to an end, but we've done this little series on Sunday school stories that we would have learned as a kid, but sometimes we forget, and maybe there's some in this room who don't even know those stories because they're new to the Lord. And that's a-okay. But this story is found in the book of Judges, which is kind of tucked away after the book of Joshua, right at the beginning of the Old Testament. We learned that Gideon was a judge. There was no king in Israel. And um, they were ruled by judges. Anyone remember the cycle in Judges? It was simply this. That as they went into this new land, unfortunately, they'd fall into idol worship and sin. This didn't please the Lord because they were supposed to be following him here in the Old Testament. And oppression would come from another nation or a circumstance. The people would be miserable and call out to God. And God would raise up a judge to bring them peace and to defeat their enemies. They would have a time of peace and unfortunately... After that time of peace, they would get so involved in the world again that they would serve idols. So we learned that Gideon, one of these judges, was raised up. He was hiding, and the Lord came to him and said, Mighty man of valor in Judges chapter 6. Now, Gideon wasn't necessarily a mighty man of valor at the time. He was hiding in a cave and even tried to convince God that he was not the man for the job. He said, I don't have the ability or the skill. I don't have the legacy. My family is weak. My tribe is weak. How could it be me? But God quickly corrected him and said, I will go with you. We will go as one, and we will defeat the enemy. So we took great application out of there that God wants to use you no matter what you think of yourself, that you have the ability to be used by God because he's the one who does the work. Gideon had all kind of excuses. Where are you? Where are all your miracles? I've heard about you. I haven't seen you. And I was just like, man, that's so much like us, right? Like, oh yeah, God, you're real, but really, where the heck are you? My life's a mess. And God quickly confirms that he will work. The first thing he asked Gideon to do is to rip down his father's kind of worship to Baal. So he does that. He gets rid of idols and he gets rid of sin. The people are upset at him in chapter 6 because he has taken their God and he's destroyed it. But at that point, his father stands up for him and he's destroyed the idols and it's time to move forward at the end of chapter 6. Just quickly, the application we learned from that is the first thing you need to do with the Lord is believe in who he is and how much he loves you. The second thing is you got to get rid of sin. Amen? Okay, let's go at that that one again. You got to get rid of idols. You got to get rid of sin. If you know God's love, 
the next step is to cleanse the junk out of your life. And I think in today's Christianity, unfortunately, sometimes we love the love of God, but we don't want to change. You cannot have one without the other, correct? And so if we're living in sin in any way and we're wondering, God, why aren't you using me? I'm weak. The first step is you've got to get rid of the junk. God is good. God is faithful. God sees you as a mighty man and woman of valor. He wants to use you, but you cannot continue in sin. Purposeful sin because it will weaken you and it will quench the power of the Holy Spirit within you. Basically, extinguish that word in the Greek, and we read that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. When we quench the Holy Spirit, when we're a believer, we have the Holy Spirit, but sin quenches that. It's almost the idea if I pulled that fire extinguisher back there and I just, just shot you, and you were on fire for the Lord, but what sin does is just like take that Holy Spirit and quench it Take that fire away. So many of us obviously are believers and the Holy Spirit lives in us, but the Holy Spirit is quenched and grieved by sin. See, God's always ready to move, right? God is always ready. He is within us. His Holy Spirit is ready. But distractions and sin, they choke out the fruit that God wants to bring. Many years ago, you might remember, I brought a hose in. And I said, God's always got the valve on. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he's ready to flow his power. But we're kinked up with unbelief and sin. And that flow of his power, that, that Holy Spirit power is quenched. So I pray this morning, as Gideon, if there's any idols that got to come down, I encourage you today that you would listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Any distraction, any pleasure of life that is taking precedence over the Lord Jesus Christ has to be dealt with. And if you're wondering in your life, why am I not producing fruit? Why is God not using me? The first thing to look at is, am I truly believing? And secondly, is there any sin in my life that is quenching the power of the Holy Spirit? It could be simple things or big things, but as we abide, John 15, in the Lord, he's so good to show us those things so we can repent, confess, and turn the right direction. And it's so interesting in our story in Judges uh, chapters 6, as he does that, as he tears down that altar in verse 34, it says, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And I want you to note, the first thing was tearing down the altar. The second thing is the empowering of the Holy Spirit. It was believing and trusting in who God called him, believing in the love of God, and then obeying. And then there's the empowering of the Holy Spirit for you to walk in what God's called you to walk. It's a beautiful little verse. And what he does then is he blows his trumpet. This is the beginning of the trumpet. If you know the story of Gideon, there's going to be a lot of trumpet blowing pretty soon. But he gathers the people around him. He's got to fight an enemy that's large. We've talked about it. It says there are as many as sand on the seashore. The Midianites are joined with the Amalekites. 
Later we'll find out that there's 135,000 of them. So what Gideon does is he blows his trumpet in the Old Testament. We know over and over when you blew the trumpet, it was to gather the people. It was, they didn't have internet or telephone, you know. Da -da -da -da, let's go. So they called the army together. And so we'll pick up the story in verse 36. So Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and if it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. And it was so. And when he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test. I pray just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry, only on the fleece, but all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece, but there was dew on all the ground. Many of us have heard this story before of the fleece, and sometimes we use that. When we have a big decision to make, we'll say, I'm going to put out a fleece. And this comes from this story from Gideon. I've read different commentaries on this story, but sometimes we look at this. I was speaking to my wife, to my kids, and the Millers, because when I have a sermon, it's just always comes out of my mouth. And I'm like, do you think it was right to put the fleece down? So we could take a little vote today. How many things would you have a fleece? How many not fleece? We're not going to do that. But maybe you're thinking, or always have been taught, why did you put that fleece down? God appeared to you. God showed you who he was. And now you need another sign? And you might say, well, when the Pharisees asked for a sign, God wasn't too happy with them. But I want to speak to that a little bit. If your heart is in the right place, I don't think there's anything wrong with putting down a fleece. You might be like, really, Pastor Dan? Well, let me tell you, I'm a weakling sometimes when it comes to having faith. Am I alone? <laughs> all right, all you faithful, perfect people. You've never thought, God, was that really you who spoke to me? No one's ever said that but me? Okay, let me put it in terms so you're not offended. Maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit's directed you. Have you ever thought, was that me or was that God? Yes. Have you ever thought, Lord, if that was really you, could you show me again? Okay, so I'm not the only weakling here, huh? Because my first commentary was like, Gideon was weak in faith, and I can't believe he asked. And I'm like, yikes, I'm Gideon. And I started thinking negatively of asking God to confirm what he has shown me. But I truly believe that our God is patient and gracious and kind. And he has no problem in speaking to us again and again and again. But we have this notion in our mind that I'm so weak and God is almost up there always testing me. He says it once and only once. 
Maybe you're a parent and your child's in the room and you're like, can you go do this? And they don't do it. And then you say, why didn't you do it? And they're like, well, I wasn't sure. Did you say that? I didn't hear you. <laughs> and you're like, you're just a disobedient. And you know what? Sometimes we look at God as an angry parent who doesn't want to tell us the same instruction twice. And he's so mean to us that it's all a test. But I'm thinking, you got the wrong picture of God there. The Pharisees had a complete wrong heart in asking for a sign because they wanted to disprove that God was real. That wasn't Gideon's heart. He just said, I'm going into battle and I need you to show me that you are real because the enemy is 135,000 and we might muster maybe 30 or 40,000. The odds are against us. God, I need you to show me because I'm not sure if I'm hearing you correctly. When you're going to make a decision and you're feeling that you're led by the Lord and it's going to affect other people, I'm going to make a bold statement. You are silly, unwise to move forward without a confirmation from the Lord. If you're going to affect your children, you're going to affect people in your life, and you say, God told me, and you have no confirmation, I'm going to look at you, and I'm going to be like, are you sure? And then I'm going to say, go home and pray again. I want to tell you something about sensing the Lord's direction or being led by the Holy Spirit. We have a lot of problems when it involves our emotions and decisions we have to make because often our emotions take over to what we want God to say. Everyone been there? Do you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes I'm confusing. I'm trying not to be confusing. I'm trying to be simple. Well, God, I feel like you're really leading this way. Really? Because I want it. You ever like the stories, like sometimes there's this young Christian teenager, sees this beautiful young Christian girl, and what does he say? He really likes her, and they start talking, and he might say, I really believe God told you, me, that you should be my wife. What is that girl supposed to say? Really? I don't even like you. Well, that guy, sure, he's heard from the Lord because he really likes that girl and she's hot. <laughs> so maybe that was his emotions, his mind speaking to him. And I think every girl on the planet would be like, why don't you go back and talk to God again because he's not telling me the same thing. <laughs> I've enjoyed reading the biography of Lauren Cunningham, the founder of YWAM, and a lot of their ministry has been incredibly based on faith in doing what God has led them to do in the spirit. Where no other people would go, they went. And oftentimes I thought, this guy is crazy. He's doing things no one else will do. He's taking young people and going to countries where it's dangerous. And he just says he hears from God. But then I read his biography and he has a principle that he would never step forth into a to an area unless God had confirmed it to at least two or three other wise Christians and he didn't tell them about what he was thinking about. So we think, oh, you're crazy. You took them into New Zealand or you took them into Africa or you bought this boat that was so expensive. 
And he would say, we never did anything because I couldn't trust myself without confirmation from the Lord beyond my feelings or my emotions. And I want to encourage you today, if you are making a decision, and I encourage you to be led by the Lord, to hear his spirit, to be led by his voice, that you can ask God, would you confirm this? Because I am weak, I am broken, but you are patient and you are gracious and you are kind and you repeat yourself continually because you love us. That's why Paul and Peter often said this, I fail not to remind you of the same things. You ever read the epistles and you're like, oh, that one kind of sounds like that one. I think I've read that verse in Philippians. It kind of sounded like one in Ephesians. Well, why does Paul always repeat himself? Oh, he's about the love of God and your position in Christ and then obedience to him. Because he tells us, I fail not to remind you. It is not tedious for me to remind you of the character of God and the things that he would say again and again and again. And if God is speaking to you, he will be faithful again and again and again. You can ask him. He is a good father. He's not up there taking check marks and saying, I can't believe them. It's interesting when we know that God is patient, which he is in this story, and we know that God is for us, isn't it so much easier to trust him then? Isn't it so much easier to trust someone who loves you, who's patient with you, who's not looking to run you down or say you're not good enough? In my mind, it's so much easier and we are able, as we hear his voice and it's confirmed, to hear it a little better the next time. But we still go back. I'll give you a little example in my life, maybe to help you before we march on. And this is kind of my main point, and I think it's all through the Bible, of God's nature, of his faithfulness, and his patience, and his goodness. I remember when we were in New Jersey, and I was working at school, and I really felt the Lord calling us out of there to come plant a church in Canada. That was a big step for us. We had to move a lot of people. <laughs> and we really didn't know what the heck would happen up here. And so I began to pray about that, and I remember telling Amy, and she's like, well, maybe. <laughs> I think we need a little confirmation, Dan. I would just pray and pray and pray, and I remember as a teacher, you'd get a letter every March, are you coming back? Are you coming back? And I got to a point where I really felt the Lord saying that, no, it's time to take a step of faith. It's time to move. But at that point, I was so unsure of myself because I wasn't necessarily happy in my environment. And so often, again, we hear God whether we're happy or sad. We're in a bad situation that's difficult. Oh, God's calling me out, right? Oh, yeah. Wouldn't he do that? Well, sometimes God has to stay, right? So I needed confirmation, and it seemed continually God gave us confirmation. And over the time, I felt that there was different prophecy and words of encouragement and people in our lives 
wise people who would say, yeah, I could see that for you, even though it would be difficult. As we sought the counsel of many, and as we sought the Lord, and in our circumstance, as he provided beyond what we could, it seems he continually confirmed that decision. The door was opening, so we didn't have to go through a window. And you are not called to go through a window, but open doors. And so we waited. And it seemed that was the case, even though it needed faith as Gideon would need faith, it was almost that the confirmation through people and God's word and the peace was real. And it became different prophecies that God would work here. So we came. We had that confirmation. I remember having such confidence that God would work. And we got here and it didn't quite work like that. <laughs> Couldn't attract a mosquito to a Bible study. But I needed the truth of that confirmation when it got bad. Because if we're basing God's direction on what we feel in our circumstances, you're a goner. You need to know what he has said, and it's confirmed in truth through his word. You hold on to those things when we got here, and it was so difficult, and you're so lonely. You had to hold on to his truth when it stunk. And then slowly, promises were fulfilled. But I remember in year seven, Oh, yeah, God, you promised these great revivals. And I've, and I've told this story before, but it's so important in regards to this scripture in saying, okay, Lord, we're here. We got a little church of 25 people, seven years into it. Is this really what you have for us? Or did you speak what you spoke? Seven years later, I had to ask that question. God, if it was really you, would you speak again? It's actually Amy's suggestion because I was frustrated. And I was like, God, you confirmed these promises when we left, but where are you now? Can I ask again, almost like Gideon the second time, oh, I'm sorry, but could you show us again? I remember that night we said a quick prayer and went to bed. We didn't talk to anyone. We just said, Lord, if these promises are for your work in Lanark County, and it was truly you asking us to come by faith, would you show us supernaturally beyond our own thoughts? We put a fleece down. Said, God, may it be something beyond what we could do. It happened the next morning. My father-in-law, who never really emails me, period. Now he does a little more, but not then. Sent me an email at 6 a.m. He had a dream. I know many have heard this story, but it's so important because it was supernatural. And in that dream, he said, listen, we were having a conversation. And we were asking about the ministry in Perth. And the word came forth that it was growing and powerful. And I want to let you know, he wrote the last sentence, still on my phone, in my email, always to look at. There will be a harvest of souls. Now, Amy, not upset, going to bed. Oh, damn, sad. Didn't get up and call her dad. Like, you got to have a dream tonight and tell him. God is so gracious and so good for you in your life that he wants to speak to you through his word, through the supernatural, to confirm what he's called you to do. And if you don't believe that, you'll never see that. If you never ask, you'll never hear. 
But we should be, as believers, being led by His Holy Spirit each day. And if it is something bigger than ourselves, we ask, and God will be faithful to show you whether it's you or whether it's Him. The first test is in His Word. Is it there? The second test is peace. And I believe it's major. He will give you supernatural confirmation for what He's called you to do. Because it's a living relationship. And I ask some people like, well, what about the pros and cons? And what about logic? If that was the case, I wouldn't have done half the things that God's called me to do. It was not logical for me to move. It made absolutely no sense to come with no money at this time whatsoever. But God had a purpose and a plan. And sometimes we have to use our head. And sometimes we have to take our thoughts and put them aside and say, God, you've said it. I believe it. You've confirmed it. I'm going to move in it. Because then he will get all the glory. We need to be a church that moves by the leading and the direction of the Holy Spirit. Because you and I are called to be used by a living God for his glory. Okay, God was faithful, right? Chapter 7. Just quickly, and I don't even want to spend much time on this because most of you know the story. But God has to tell Gideon a few more things. He calls and all these men are there, thousands and thousands and thousands of men to fight against the Midianites. And the Lord said to Gideon in verse 2, ah, too many. There's too many. And you know what happens when there's too many? You're going to claim glory for yourself in verse 2. And you're going to say, my hand has saved me. You know, sometimes God has us walk in faith where it's not about us because we love giving ourselves the glory. Oh, it was that sermon. It was our outreach plan. It was our ability. It was our mind. And God says to Gideon, no siree. We're going to cut her down. You have way too many. Way too many. And Gideon says, if anyone's afraid, you can go home. And 22,000 people returned home and 10,000 remained. Remember, he's going against 135,000. So now he has 10,000. See, the odds are against him. But the Lord said to Gideon again, the people are still too many. And then he has this test of drinking, whether they drank, lapped it up, or they drank like a dog. And then the final number is 300. If you're Gideon, you better have heard from God. Because it absolutely makes no sense what you're about to do. Two times. Two times the army's cut down. How many times did Gideon put the fleece down? Two times. I don't think that's an accident. And God knowing now, look at the graciousness, the goodness of God. Gideon not asking for any more signs. Says in verse 9, it happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, arise, go down against the camp. For I've delivered it into your hand, verse 10. But if you are afraid to go down to the camp, take Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterwards, your hand shall be strengthened to go against the camp. Then he went down with Pura's servant to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. 
Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, as their camels were without number, as the sand on the seashore in the multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was men telling a dream to his companion. And he said, I've had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. And it came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. Into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. God is so good, is so gracious. Gideon asks twice for a sign, and God gives him a third. He didn't even ask. I just love God. <laughs> I'm such a numbskull, do you know that? And I'm so afraid. And yet God knows my heart and answers my question. And he, he goes a step further and says, I'm going to give you another sign. I'm going to take you down and they're going to have a dream. And I'm going to show you that they're afraid of you. And you're the one that's afraid and they're afraid of you. I don't know. Do you know how good God is? We spend way too much time thinking about ourselves when we should think about God. God is not out to get you. He loves you. And not only does he want to answer your questions, he wants to give you more and more and more answers. 300 men, not afraid. You know the story. Trumpet, pitcher, torch. Maybe you don't. Anyways, they're all in the valley. Gideon takes his men. Three groups of 100 goes around at Gideon's word. They blow their trumpet at the sword of the Lord, and Gideon breaks the empty pitcher, shines the light. The first group says it, then the second group says it, and the third, but it sounds like there's a tremendous multitude to the enemy. God puts a spirit of fear within them. They start running and fighting against each other. 135,000, so Gideon up there with this plan that's brilliant, because they see this multitude, and again, a trumpet is calling an army together, so they hear the trumpet, and in their minds, they're thinking, there's a great army coming. They see all this light, and then the echo of these things. Woo, woo, woo. And they're totally afraid, and they run. And God brings forth this amazing victory. What does he use? Broken pitchers. And light that shines through. Oh, come on. You can make the application yourself, all right? <laughs> we are broken. We are broken people. But who lives in us? Jesus Christ, the greatest light. And at the light, the enemy flees. It is not about you and how good you look as a pitcher and how strong it is. It's about you that you are absolutely broken and have no power on your own and have no ability. It's the Holy Spirit, the light of God that shines through your brokenness. And Satan sees that and he has to run at God's grace and God's power and God's light. And the problem is we're trying to think how much it's about us and what we can do when it's truly about Christ and his light and 
His work through us that defeats the enemy. And he's powerful and he's gracious and he's kind and he repeats himself and he wants to use you broken, warts, failures, sin by his grace to defeat the enemy. And as we said four weeks ago, and I'm glad I only preach every four weeks now, but anyways, because you can't say I'm repeating myself, but we said it's not about you, but God sees you as this powerful person in here. The truth is that. It's not by power, it's not by might, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And we have a church in today's day and age who thinks it's all about their ability and how well they preach and how well they sing and all their programs. Not that we don't want to do those things well, but unless God's spirit is anointing and working, it will bring nothing. But if God is in us and we submit and we stop resisting and we let him work, he takes our gifts and our abilities and he empowers them and he brings forth fruit that only he can get the glory for. This is the picture of the word of God with every character, New Testament or Old. You want to dispute it? Let's talk about a character. You want to talk about Paul? You want to talk about Peter? You want to talk about Thomas? There you go. We'll finish that. Doubting Thomas. Big, brave man. Well, I'm not going to believe unless I see it. What did Jesus say? He looked at him. Here, touch. Touch me. Was he mad at him? No. Touch. Touch. I'm real. I'm real. It's okay. And then he makes a statement. Blessed are those who believe. Some people have to see. Some don't. But Jesus wasn't angry at Thomas ever. He appeared to him and said, touch me. Touch me. That's what Jesus is saying to us. I'm real. I'm alive. It's not about your ability. It's about me. And I live within you. And I want to shine through you. Because we're in a battle. And the enemy needs to flee. Amen? I want you to know I want you to know, being led by the Holy Spirit is how ministry works personally and corporately. And if you don't understand, ask God to make it clear, and he will. Always. It's the love of Christ. The words of Christ that cause our faith to grow. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. The translation in the Amplified is faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. The whole chapter is about Christ and what he's done for us in Romans chapter 10. It's all about Christ and what he's done. And who's, they have to have a preacher. So he's saying faith comes by hearing, by people hear about Jesus and his goodness and his love and the gospel. And that causes us to have more and more faith. Amen? Thank you, Lord Jesus, this day. For your character. You say in Exodus chapter 44, 
that you are gracious and compassionate, that you're full of mercy and loving kindness, that you are righteous and that you are perfect. That's your glory. Lord, this morning, may we know your glory. May we know your character because it will help us to be led by your spirit, to hear your voice, to know your truth. As we read your word, may we know the God who wrote it by the pages that are written. May we know God. Lord, as we know you, as Gideon, help us to walk in faith. And if there's things we don't understand or directions we question, we can ask you. You're so faithful. And if it's a no, it's a no. <laughs> if it's a yes, we'll know. You'll open doors, you'll close doors. But we know that you want to use us. That we're not called to be sitting on the bench but we're called to live this Christian life following your spirit, walking in the spirit, producing the fruit of this spirit for the glory of God. Lord, help us to take these lessons. Jesus, you know we're forgetful people, and that's why you say, Remember. And that's what you did with communion the first time you took it. You said, remember me. Remember me. We want to remember Jesus, the gospel, that he came, that he died for a people that didn't care about him, who weren't good, that his love overcame that. He lived a perfect life. That's the gospel, that he died on the cross. It was all his work. That he rose again, but on that cross he took our sins and he gave us his perfection. And he says today, do you believe it? And for those of us who believe it, he says, remember it. <laughs> remember, I love you. I've forgiven you. Renew yourself in that truth today. Not only in your head, but your heart, not only in your heart, but your head. The truth that he's forgiven you. Remember me. That's what he's saying to us this morning. No greater love than to lay down your life for a brother. Your love. This morning we're going to celebrate that and remember that. The elements are in the back. Randy's going to sing. So I want to encourage you quietly, respectfully, worshiping, remembering, praising God. Get those elements and think about how much he loves you. When everyone has received the elements, we'll partake together. Just hold on till the end of the song. If you need prayer, as people are going to the back, there'll be brothers and sisters who would love to pray for you. We're all a family. Let's worship the Lord together.